Janet feels good. Am I on? Testing. Can y'all hear me? I know it's on. All right, so we are starting a new series today. We're moving Exodus to Wednesday nights. We did Genesis on Sunday mornings, but there, you know the reasons why. We made it through a whole year. We only took a whole year to go through Genesis. I don't know how fast Exodus will be, but we're moving that to Wednesday nights. Sunday nights, we're going to start looking at the epistles of Paul. We're going to start looking into 1 Corinthians tonight. Um, there are many reasons why. You'll hear a little bit about it uh, as we go. But I want to talk on the mornings. Um, we're going to start a new series on encountering Christ. We've been watching The Chosen. We've been going through some of these uh, stories of Jesus through the people that knew him best. Um, and I told you Wednesday night kind of what we would start with. And then I went with the third option that I didn't seem too sure about. Because it's where I think the Lord led me. But I want to talk about sin. We've talked about sin this morning in Sunday school. Talked about Cain and Abel and what may have been the second sin of what may have been one of the many sins. Because if Cain was so worried about being killed by someone else, it almost seems to me like well, maybe it had been around for a while. He just hadn't done it. Either way, it doesn't matter. Sin comes in many forms. So as we look at this, who remembers the lion which in the wardrobe or any of the Chronicles of Narnia? I remember reading them growing up. Some of you may have seen the movies. If you have, you, you know what I'm talking about here. If you haven't, I'm going to spoil the book for you a little bit, but it's only one part. It's not going to spoil the story. But since I did get a hand, I'll ask you because you're the only one. I can't believe these others haven't read it. That's what I'm really saying. Um, so in the, in the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, written by C.S. Lewis, you have the White Witch. You meet the White Witch, and she gives Edmund what they call a Turkish delight, right? I think that's Turkish delight which she gives to Edmund and Edmund loves it and he loves it so much that he keeps going back for more and it loves it so much that she begins to use it to get her will from Edmund when she wants something she gives him Turkish delight and it gets better and better and better right so then it even eventually causes him to turn on his own siblings because he loves the Turkish delight so much well, if you haven't caught on to the allegory yet, the Turkish delight is very much like sin in our lives. We, we enjoy what we do. We enjoy the sin, and then it takes over. It, it becomes something that we would do anything to get, including hurt others that maybe we truly do care about. And so what happens is the more she gave, the more he ate, the more he needed. It was addictive. It was something that took over in him. I mean, addictions work that way with drugs, you know, the same way. But the reality simply is this. It bound him more and more to the white witch and her will. And he betrayed his loved ones just to get what he wanted. So as we look at that and we think about that, I want to just simply say this. We are never satisfied. We are never satisfied. So as we look at the text today of the story, one of the things, let's take it a step further. Have you been caught doing something? Have you been caught stealing? Have you been caught sinning? Yeah, well, but when that moment happens, when you know you've done something wrong, there's a feeling that washes over you. Call it fear, whatever it might be. 
If you're in the middle of doing something wrong and somebody walks into the room, you immediately begin to scramble. You immediately begin to start looking for a way to fix what could be broken, right? You immediately think, oh no, I hope nobody saw that. I mean, I'm not the only one, right? At least I got a couple head nods over here. I hear the brains rattling, but I don't know if anybody's awake. But right in the middle of doing something you knew you shouldn't have done, you get caught. Who remembers America's Funniest Home Videos? It still comes on sometimes. Who's seen the video of the little girl with her hand in the cookie jar? I mean, it's like everybody. She's standing on a chair. She's got her hand in the cookie jar, and the mom walks in and catches her with the cookies in hand. And she says, what are you doing? To which the little girl immediately replies, and she gives the mother a hard time for spying on her. But, <laughs> but the girl reprimands her mother for spying because she got upset about getting caught. But we can't laugh sin off. We, we, we do. We try. We call it whatever, but we can't laugh sin off. I mean, y'all are my friends, so I'm going to tell you straight up. We've got to stop laughing it off. We've got to stop making excuses. We can't keep saying, well, the boys will be boys. We can't keep saying, well, you know, that's just my cross to bear. I have heard people say that about sin. No, that's not your cross to bear. That is sin. Sin is never your cross to bear. Because Christ already did. So when we get into that mindset, we're thinking, well, I'm going to die for my sin. Christ means, you know, what Christ did for me means nothing. Because he died for my sin, but if it's my cross to bear, well, then that means that his death was not for you. We got to understand that today. Your sin is your sin and it's wrong. So I want to ask these questions as we start. How did you feel? What happened? How did you feel and what happened? What took place? In the midst of all of it. And then I want to ask you this. Let's look at what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? You know, what does he want to do for us? What did he do for us? What does he want to do for us? And I want to talk about making it personal. So let's start with what Jesus did. Let's start with the beginning of that. Let's start with John chapter 8 verse 1. Really, it kind of starts at verse 2. Because at first, verse 1 says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. Or it says, then, Jesus, then each one went to his house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now, the Mount of Olives would have been a place to pray. It's where the Garden of Gethsemane was at the lower part of it. Uh, it's also a graveyard, just in case. But I think Jesus, knowing what was about to take place, went on his own accord for a reason. But it... Then it says, early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. So it just mentions that he goes to the Mount of Olives. And then here he comes to the temple the next day. Now, in Jerusalem, let's imagine that the stage is the Mount of Olives. There's a valley. And then you come right up into probably about where the phone's sitting right now. Would be like on a scale model. A very small scale model. Um would be where the wall, the eastern wall of, the Jeru of Jerusalem, of where the temple was at. So it's literally like it's on that side of Jerusalem 
um, there, or the, the Temple Mount is right there, just across from the Mount of Olives. So if that gives you a little bit of comparison, and the Garden of Gethsemane is kind of down in the valley, just to the right of the Mount of Olives. It's all right there together, House of Caiaphas, just to the left of the Temple. Uh, I'll show you a picture and point it all out one day. But it says that early the next morning he was back again at the temple. The crowd soon gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and Pharisees brought a woman that they had caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Now I want to stop for a second and ask this question. Where was the man? She couldn't have done it alone. She's caught in the act of adultery, especially in this society. She couldn't have done it alone. Did he sneak out the, the back door when he, heard him sneak, when he heard him come? Or did they go in and frame the woman with the intent of catching her in this? Did, was it a Pharisee or a Sadducee that was caught in the act with her? And therefore they, they said, well, we'll just sweep it under the rug. We'll take her and she'll pay for the sin. There's a whole lot of those things that were going on at the time, but it says that they caught this woman in the act of adultery. And then they go on and says, the law of Moses, this is verse 5, the law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? Now, to stone her is referring to rocks, not drugs, in case anybody gets confused. But stoning was a family event. This was a public spectacle. It was about making an example of someone. They put them in front of everyone and they throw rocks until the person falls over dead. And then they cheer. It's kind of like Monty Python. We found a witch, may we burn her? You know, I mean, you go through that whole thing. That's what they were doing. They wanted to make a public spectacle of the ones that disagreed with their stance. We do it now, but with words and with television media and with smear campaigns on social media, all of these things. But... This would have been like a fight on a playground, so to speak. Except everybody's ganging up on one, throwing rocks. So in verse 6 it says, And they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. They were looking for the moment they could say, We got him. We got him. We got what we needed. We got him to say something that violates Mosaic law, and that's all we need. If it violates Mosaic law, it's blasphemy, right? If he says yes, then they can challenge his teachings because he is saying that he's under the law. But Jesus stooped down and he wrote in the dust with his finger. Now, we don't know what he wrote. We don't know anything there. He could have written the sins of everyone that was standing around. There are some that believe maybe that's what he did. He could have said, my he could have written, my name is Jesus. Have a nice day. I don't know. The reality of it simply is this, though. Jesus knelt down and he began to ride in the dust. Now, I personally believe that he began, I personally believe he began writing names with sin. And the reason I think he did was because maybe he was just, or he was just writing sins they were guilty of. I don't know. But I do believe that Jesus wrote something in the dust that they recognized and said, we are not, we, we shouldn't throw stones here. When he asked them to, Said it. We'll, we'll get, we haven't got there yet, but I don't know what he wrote, though. None of us do. Verse 7, they kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, here's where it gets interesting. At what point does what they're doing become a problem? 
according to their law. They demanded an answer. Jesus chose not to answer. He just simply sat quietly. He knew what they were doing, and he sat quietly until they demanded he give them an answer. Until they demanded that he respond in a way that was favorable or unfavorable, but they needed an answer. They wanted to trap him. They were dead set to get him. He says, all right, stoner. But let he who is without sin cast the first stone. This is why I believe he was probably riding the sin. Solely because at that moment, they realized they were all sinners and in need of something. And in fact, he may have even written the name of one specifically who was also a party to this. I don't know. Again, where's the man? But reality says he's just simply said, all right, stoner, but let those without sin cast the first stone. And the Pharisees didn't see it coming. They were looking for a yes, no. Jesus gave them both. Jesus answered the question the way they wanted it answered, but he also added a caveat, and they couldn't understand. They couldn't get it. So then it says he stooped down again and rode in the dust. Again, riding in the dust. And, and this is where... He didn't make eye contact with any of them. I believe there's a deeper meaning for why he didn't. And we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. But I believe Jesus knelt down and started writing again, but he wasn't making eye contact with them. He already had just pointed out their sins. He wasn't making eye contact with them while doing that. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to her, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? So he asks her a personal question and she replies and says, No, Lord. He says, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now, there's something powerful in the midst of this. What did Jesus do? He saved this woman's life. That's the short answer. He saved her life. He says, where are your accusers? Didn't any one of them stay? She says, no. He says, not one to condemn you? She says, no. Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. His statement is very important. We'll get to it in a moment. But I want you to recognize what he wants to do for us. This is part of encountering Christ. We have to have personal encounters with Jesus Christ. We can't get to know him without him. We can't read the Bible and get to know the Savior just based on the words here. I know it's full of spirit. I know it's a very spiritual experience reading it. And I know that I encouraged you to start doing so this morning. But that being said, we have to have a personal encounter. It can't just be us reading the Word of God or taking my Word on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or a Sunday night or whenever you come to church, listening to a preacher and hearing the Word and then just saying, well, the preacher said, I don't care what the preacher said. I've said this numerous times in my life to people that will say, well, the preacher said this and I look at them and say, I don't care what the preacher said. What does he say to you? What does it mean to you? 
Where's your personal experience in this? Because your personal experience is what develops your personal relationship with God. If you want to know the Savior, you need a moment like this where he saves your life. And when he saves your life, you've had that personal experience. For Paul, it was the Damascus Road. For the disciples, it was as he was walking around calling them, saying, follow me. For Mary Magdalene, we learn in the book of Luke that he freed her from seven or eight demons. And here we have a woman caught in adultery that Jesus saves her life and keeps her from being stoned. And he says, I don't condemn you. Why? Because he wants to replace our guilt with grace. He wants to replace your guilt with grace. He wants you to understand that your guilt doesn't belong here. She was guilty, but so was everyone else. The fact that we use that in the Christian world today to try to convince people they need to do things for us, the fact that we manipulate people using guilt and shame, is it, it, it's honestly disheartening. Because guilting someone into something Romans chapter 14 talks about it. If somebody doesn't do something because they feel guided by the Spirit to do it, then you're causing a sin in their life because they weren't convicted. Folks, we've got to stop guilting one another. But let's, let's go back to this for a moment. Romans 6, chapter, or chapter 6, verse 14. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer are subject to the law which enslaves you. Instead, you are freed by God's grace. Paul writes this to the Romans, but the reality simply is this. The grace of God has set you free. You are dealing with something that he has already forgiven. If your guilt is forgiven, then when are you going to forgive yourself? Let's not talk about others for a moment. Let's talk about self. We are so ready to talk about self all day, every day especially when it comes to politics and everything else. But if you're not forgiving yourself, how do you expect others to do the same? But also remember, it works both ways. The accusers stood there. They were using guilt to cause the woman grief. And Jesus simply replaced guilt with grace. And he says, where are your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. He didn't condemn any of them. He just said, whoever has no sin can cast the first stone. One person stood there that day, right next to her, who could have cast that first stone. And all it normally takes in those situations is one stone. Because once one stone is thrown, the rest start to fly. That's what everyone's waiting on. They don't want to be the first, but they're ready to throw one when needed. They're waiting to cast the stones. And Jesus says that he was without sin cast and they one by one silently slip away, starting with the oldest, it says. Second thing I want you to see is he replaces your shame with salvation. He replaces your guilt with grace and your shame with salvation. Ephesians 1.5, his unchanging plan has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. This gave him great pleasure. 
Romans 5, 9 through 11. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, He will certainly save us from God's judgment. For since we were restored to friendship with God by the death of His Son, while we were yet sinners, His enemies, we will certainly be delivered from eternal punishment by His life. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God all because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us in making us friends of God. We're not enemies, we're friends. We are friends of God. Our shame is gone in the place of salvation which has come to save you. You have to encounter Christ because you stand accused. The devil is the great accuser and he's standing there and he is guilting you. Every single day. He is using your guilt to cause you grief. And God wants to replace your grief and your, your guilt with grace. And He wants to replace your shame with salvation. The reality is we aren't in a place to cast judgment or a stone. Neither are they. None of us are worthy to cast judgment or stones at anyone else. But salvation came through Christ. So why do we make others feel shameful when they don't do what we want them to do? Because that's newsflash. Let he is without sin cast the first stone. You don't do what they want you to do either. It goes both ways. But the third thing we need to do today is make it personal. He wants to relate with you. And he wants to make it personal. He wants to make it personal. How do we make it personal today? We pursue Jesus. We pursue Him today. We pursue Him. We don't let up. We keep searching and striving for Him. Look, David, even though David was considered a man after God's own heart, look at the track record. He, he, he cheated. He caused a woman to bear a child out of wedlock that was not with her husband. He then sent that husband to the front lines and had him murdered. He gave instructions to withdraw and leave the man by himself. That's murder. But yet God calls him a man after his own heart. Why? Because right here, David was only after what God wanted in his life. Now at these moments, the flesh acted out and we can go into all of that. I'm not trying to get into all of these things. I'm simply saying David was forgiven because he asked for it. David repented of his sins and he let go of it. And he let that guilt go. Because God replaced his guilt with grace and he replaced his shame with salvation. We need to chase after him. We need to pursue him, chase after him and keep going because if we stop when we slip up one time, then we've forgotten what grace truly is. Now I'm not saying we should continue in sin. Paul says no. Paul says, does that mean we should go on continuing in sin? No. Heaven forbid. God forbid. There's different translations of it all. It all equals the same. But I want you to remember this. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Neither height nor depth. Whatever the sin is that you think you've committed, that you're still feeling guilt over, that you think has driven a wedge between you and God and is unforgivable. Guess what? Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what Romans 10, 9, and 10 says. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but the gift of God is eternal life. 
The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We've got to understand this today. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us because the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So what do we need to do? I mean, we don't need to settle for the status quo. We don't need to settle for what the world tells us is good and what's not. Stop settling for the troubles and giving up on the good because what God is calling you into is to strive for the good that He offers and to do what is best for the kingdom of God. Well, how do I do that? How do I do it, preacher? Well, let me tell you. It's this simple. Surrender. I'm not going to give you a list of things you need to do to get saved. I'm not going to give you a list of things that you need to do to get right. There's nothing you can do to get it right because Christ already did. You want to know the difference between Buddhism and Christianity? What was the last thing Buddha, and I'm not just picking on Buddhism, I'm picking on all of them. The last thing Buddha said before he died, keep striving to be better, something of that nature. You know what the last thing Jesus said before he died? It is finished. It's over. I've done it. He didn't say keep striving to be better. He said it's done. I did it. It's through. I have paid the price for your sin. I have done what needs to be done. And I have saved your life. This is your encounter with me. That's what he's saying to us today. He's saying that cross was your encounter. It's the time that you encountered me. There was a hope for you and me in that moment to have a relationship again because sin had driven a wedge. Don't let your guilt and your shame be the division. Replace your shame with salvation. Replace your guilt with my grace. We will always start with an encounter with Christ. Every moment. And we need to do that every day. We need to be more like Jacob. We just studied it. What happened when Jacob was wrestling with the angel? He said, no, you cannot leave until you bless me. You can't leave until I have a blessing because I'm not wrestling with you through all of this just to give up now. We don't get blessed because we don't ask God hard enough. We give up when the tough times come. We give up when the struggles happen. We need to be more like Jacob and say, no, bless me, Lord. Give me the blessing I'm striving so hard for. It's not about me. But I've wrestled with you this long. I'm not giving up now. That's what Jacob did. It's not that Jacob was looking for something special out of God. Jacob was just like, I'm too far into this to give up now, God. I'm too deep into this to say no. I'm not going to give up. We need to seek the one that can change us. And when we have encountered Christ, it will change you. Let it change you. Don't fight it. Stop fighting what God is doing just because you have other plans. I don't care what your plans are. Give them up. If those plans do not include what God is calling you to do, then let them go. They're holding you back. They're fighting with the time that God needs you to be doing what you need to be doing. We need to be a diver and not a snorkeler. You ever been snorkeling? Anybody? What's the thing about snorkeling versus diving? 
Exactly. We can stay on the surface or we can dive deep. We need to dive deep today. We can stay on the surface and only get that surface covered and, and feel fine about our lives. There, there is that. But that encounter with Jesus will take us deeper. That encounter with Jesus will take us into the deep knowledge of God that he longs for us. That's the difference between the milk and the meat when we talk about that. People in this room might fall into these categories, and this is how I'm going to close it today. First, investigators are seekers. You ask questions. You've got this desire to know more, so you ask questions, whether it be of me or of God. Either way, you're asking questions, and that's a good thing. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Not necessarily of others, but if you need to, do. But ask God. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you ask with wrong motives. Ask God to show you and he will. So you're either a seeker or maybe you're a stumbler. Somebody that's straddling the fence that keeps tripping as you try to get off of it. You keep stumbling along the way. In Revelation 3.16, right? Revelation 3.16, because you're a lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You're neither hot nor cold. You're sitting in the middle. You just keep stumbling right along. I mean, honestly, I could have called them the divers and the snorkelers. But then you got the climbers. You got those that are, that are, that are climbing, but they're growing. They're, they're striving, but they're still holding on to the rocks. They're still holding on to the, to the stones they want to cast. They're still holding on to the things that are weighing them down. Look, keep climbing. Keep clinging to the rock that is Christ, but let go of your stone. Stop thinking you have it all figured out. I can't tell you how many times I have encountered new Christians who a week ago had nothing figured out, who now all of a sudden they're the authority on the matter. They went through a hard day one time three days ago. Now that's the way you handle it. I appreciate your audacity. I appreciate your willingness to serve. I appreciate that you think you've got it all figured out, but you're not, the, you're not the authority on the matter. There's only one authority. His name is Jesus Christ. Look, there is no condemnation. What did Jesus say to the woman? He said, where are your accusers? Is there not one here to con condemn you? She says, no. He says, neither do I. Our life is about Christ. When we encounter Christ, He is not condemning. He is not condemning us today. This is where we get it wrong in the church. I've spent too much time, other ministers have spent too much time condemning you in the pews, making you feel guilty over things. And I'm not, I mean, I try to preach the Word of God. But there are times where we allow that to happen. For whatever reason, we allow ourselves to get caught up in the guilt and the shame of it all and we try to guilt you into coming to the altar. Listen to me. If you have an encounter with Jesus, I won't be able to keep you off the altar. That's why we need to go deeper. That's why we need to grow. That's why we need to get closer to Him. We need to spend time in His presence because that's how we grow. Jesus, He said there is no condemnation. Paul in Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. And then he followed it with these important words. Now go and sin no more. 
Do you think she was sinless the rest of her life? Probably not. Then again, after the time that you heard that call and you stepped up to the altar, did you remain sinless? No. Even me, I haven't. I don't want to ruin any bubbles that are out there. I don't want to bust any, you know, thoughts. But I'm I'm just like you. I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And I'm thankful that he has now removed the name sinner from my, and he's got a new name that's written in glory for me. And I will get that name one day. But until then, I'm redeemed. I am saved. I am justified by the blood of Christ. What else did Jesus say? Well, let's see while we're casting stones, when Jesus is hanging on the cross with the stones being cast at himself, what did he say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Or maybe what he said to Nicodemus in John 3.17. The Son of Man did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So what's the phrase that we hear often in God's word? 360 sometimes I think it is. We heard it a few times during Christmas. What? No. That may be more. I don't know. We heard it a lot during Christmas. The angels or the messengers said it to Mary and Joseph. God seems to say it every time he speaks to a man. And Jesus said it quite a few times himself. And that was this. Do not be afraid. Remember the fear thing I talked about multiple times today. Either we fear God or we fear everything else in the world. And there's really no in between. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid is deeper. I mean, the reality is do not fear. We're afraid of guilt. We're afraid of the shame. We're afraid of everything that's there. And God's simply saying, let go. Put it aside. Let me replace your guilt with grace. Let me replace your shame with salvation. The reason we're not growing is because we're not the ones letting go. The scripture tells us we've been forgiven and it's forgotten as far as the east is from the west. Why the east and the west and not the north and the south? Eventually the north and the south cross again. But if you're going east, you're never going to be going west. If you're going west, you're never going to be going east. You can continue around this world in one direction and you will never go the other direction. Here's a final thought and then we'll close out with communion and prayer. But hear what I'm saying in this statement. God longs for you to relate to him as a savior, not a judge. Yes, God is the judge. But we've gotten way too comfortable with the statement, only God can judge me. God doesn't want to be your judge. He wants you to judge yourself before he has. He wants you to let the Spirit allow you to see the things and cause repentance rather than wait for judgment day when it's too late. He wants to be known as your Savior and not your judge. Because there will be a day when we stand at that judgment throne and we either have the Savior who steps up on our behalf and says, this one's with me, or we have 
the judge that says, depart from me, I never knew you. There is no, I, well, I, I, well, you're not going to get to argue your case. You've lived however many years arguing your case. He knows where your heart is. He knows where your mind is. And he's just waiting on that one encounter that changes your life. The encounter where he saves it. The encounter where you are like the woman who's caught in adultery and you're there and you are laid out ready to die because the world just wants to cast stones and Jesus is there and says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And then eventually you hear a still small voice say, where are your accusers? Certainly seems like they have better things to do, doesn't it? Isn't there anyone here that wants to condemn you? Because when it's all said and done, it's over. It's forgotten. The world moves on. They go on about their business and you're standing there and the only one left with you is Christ. And he says, I don't condemn you either. Now go and sin no more. If you don't have a relationship with him today, I encourage you to get to know him. I encourage you to find him today. Find that peace in him today. Let him replace your guilt with grace. Let him replace your shame with salvation. But don't let him get away. Don't let time get beyond you. Don't let it come to that judgment day when you stand before the throne and he says, depart from me. I tried, but you didn't want to listen. I tried. I had that moment planned out for us. We could have encountered one another many times. But instead, you told me you were too busy. You told me you had nothing. You told me that we didn't get it. We, we, we just, maybe next week. Well, there was no next week this time. He just wants to encounter you. He just wants to replace your shame and your guilt. He just wants to bring freedom into your life that doesn't feel like freedom in this world. But I promise you there'll be a day when it does. So if you need a touch from the Lord today, come. We're going to sing uh, the first verses just as I am. And then... Thank you for joining us for our services here on the Newland Christian Church Daily Devotional Podcast. This is our weekend service. You are welcome to join us. We have Sunday school at 10 a.m., service at 11 on Sunday mornings. Sunday evenings, we meet at 6 p.m., and on Wednesday evenings, we meet at 6 p.m. Every service is also streamed live on our Facebook page. You can get more information about Newland Christian Church at newlandchristianchurch.com or facebook.com slash newlandchristianchurch. Hope you have a blessed day in the Lord.